Welcome to the Dr. Berg's Healthy Keto and Intermittent Fasting Podcast, where Dr. Berg takes you on the journey for the truth about getting healthy and losing healthy weight. Hey everyone, I have a really interesting interview uh, today with uh, Chad Hodge. So welcome, Chad. Thank you. Listen, um, I've been doing a series of uh, interviews on cancer and you have a very interesting story. So I wanna share with everyone what happened to you. Um, and before we get into the details, you had a, I think it was like a 15 centimeter tumor in your lung, right? Which is roughly almost six inches. And yeah. uh, why don't you just kind of tell us uh, at the very beginning what happened? I think uh, you weren't sure what was going on. You went to the doctor, you had a scan and, and, and tell us what happened. Yeah, so basically in, this was August of last year, I went, uh, I had some pain in the right upper portion of my abdomen mm -hmm. uh, to the point where I thought I had like maybe a gallstone. Um, and then, so I went to the doctor who they did some tests and found what looked like to them was an infection in my lung. So the first thing they asked me is if I had been vaccinated and, you know, if I had trouble breathing and I was like, no trouble breathing, uh, why? And they're like, do you think, and I asked, you know, do you think I have COVID? And they said, it's a possibility. So they did a COVID test and then they did a bunch of stuff. I did a, um, a sonogram, a CAT scan, an X-ray. And at that point, they still were uncertain uh, due to the rarity of the tumor that, you know, eventually they found out what it was. Um, they assumed that it was some sort of infection. And so the reason I had gone to get it checked out was just that uh, pain in the upper right portion of my abdomen, which turned out that the tumor was so large, it was pressing on a nerve and transferring the pain to the front uh, top right portion of the abdomen. And so I did what is a biopsy, but you know, they put you in this CAT scan because they take it from the lung. So it's kind of not the most pleasant experience. Oh, I could imagine. Um, so they did the, the biopsy and at first, they said, well, it looks like a tumor. And at that point, uh, you know, the diagnosis with the doctor was due to the size was not promising. He was very much, uh, you know, we'll see what we can do. Hopefully uh, we can operate and, you know, we'll see what treatments are available and stuff like that. But, you know, kind of like, moderate your expectations kind of like i don't know don't get your <laughs> the hopes feeling was high. like get ready to die you know yes, and it was like all right thank you doc right yeah thanks for that and then um luckily you know the doctor that i found was very fast and he was very determined on handling the situation as rapidly as possible and as thoroughly as possible 
So here I'm based in Northern Italy and there's several hospitals that work together. And he had already set up with um, a thoracic surgeon that is one of the better ones in Italy. And so I was super happy when I met him. He was very competent um, and they ended up removing the tumor. And even at that point, um, I was then transferred to another hospital, which is a cancer research facility. And there, again, they were just, you know, what it turned out to be was a carcinosacoma of the lung. And I think the, the technical term is primary pulmonary carcinosacoma because it originates in the lung. So it's primary, it's in the lung, it's pulmonary, and it's a carcinosacoma. Um, which accounts for, I was told about 0. 0.3 to 0.7% of all lung cancers that are diagnosed, which is already only like 14 to 20% of all cancers that are diagnosed. So, th so, so this is so extremely rare. <laughs> Very Jeez. rare. And I forget, um, after the surgery, you get the histological exam where they evaluate all the tissues and stuff like that. And there's some indicator um, that they give you a percentage, you know, up to like 25% that's very aggressive. Uh, below 25% is like moderately aggressive. And then below 10% is like not aggressive. Mine was 85%. So it was just like extreme aggression, I guess. So, so, um, so question at that point, I mean, what's going through your mind? I mean, that's, uh, I could imagine the amount of fear that kind of comes up with that is this crazy high. I mean, yeah, um, that's a, that's a tough one. I'm very stubborn. So the, I'm very combative and very competitive. So the second I found out that you know, the second my doctor said you have cancer and it's lung cancer and it's a really bad situation. And I was like, okay, bring it on. That's <laughs> the best. On. That is the best <laughs> viewpoint. That is so good. Yeah. And it, immediately I went into full research mode. Um, I had been following your videos for a long period of time. So I understood, um, you know, some of the research regarding, um, sugar and cancer and carbohydrates and how that turns into glucose and how, you know, tumors feed on glucose. Uh, I guess there's also another video where, you know, there's the Scott metabolism, which also, you know, the, it can use ketones uh, as well as. So, a so I'll just I'll clarify that for everyone who's watching that doesn't know about Scott. Um, there, um, there's some data out there that uh, talks about um, a very unique weakness within the cancer cell. There's a very a vulnerable area in the cancer cell uh, because it differs from a normal cell in that it, it needs a very uh, specific door or pathway through an enzyme to feed the membranes of that cancer to keep it going. And so, um, so there's this, so we did some research in Europe using um, an inhibitor of this enzyme called Scott uh, Natural. And uh, I put that data out there and I just actually, I will be releasing a video this week on the uh, result of the study that we did mm. on mice in Europe. And basically you're using compounds that are 
blocking this pathway and not creating a toxic effect. And we compare that to um, um, one of the most powerful chemotherapy drugs, which actually you took by the way. So anyway, I'll, I'll let you continue. Um, so go, go ahead, continue. Yeah, so uh, immediately when I got the diagnosis, I went to full research mode to just do every possible thing I could uh, to better my circumstance. Um, you know, after the histological exam also and researching primary pulmonary carcinoma coma, um, there's not much information out there. And the information that is out there is not promising. Uh, they estimate about a seven to 25% survival rate. Um, and that's within and that, five years, right? I mean, that, you're just yeah. making it up to five years. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. they consider five years being a success. Yeah, yeah. I guess, uh, you know, I was talking to one of the uh, oncologists, and apparently it's, it's just all statistics, right? So when you have, when you've had cancer, you have a higher increase statistics that have cancer again. And then after two years, that drops. After three years, it drops again. And after five years, you become like a normal percentage of, you know, the baseline society percentile of possibility of getting a cancer. Um, and so I thought that was a interesting inf piece of information. Um, but at that point, I found one of your videos that uh, you could donate to that research that uh, was taking place in Europe and you got the cancer diet. And I followed that like it was a religious text. And I put that in my diet. I was doing a fast, 24 hour fast. Uh, I was eating mainly salmon, tuna, and, you know, sometimes chicken uh, and gigantic bowls of salad, just a ridiculous amount of kale, vegetables. Uh, taking the Scott inhibitors. So that was like green tea. Uh, I forget the other ones. Yeah, we have uh, the uh, phytonutrient in green tea, alpha lipoic acid, alpha -lipoic Arsenia acid. cambogia, which is yeah. um, another term for that is hydroxycitrate. So there's a number of uh, compounds and even garlic uh, with allicin. All these things oh, are yeah. inhibitors of Scott. So you took yeah. that as well as doing the fasting. And by the way, I'm gonna put a link down below for those of you that just want a copy of that. Uh, but again, I have to make a disclaimer that um, we're not making any claims that this will do anything for you. And I am not selling these products. And I never mm -hmm. intend to do that. So you'll have to use this as your basics for uh, doing additional research and deciding under the care of your doctor. Okay, good. Yeah, I'll get that out of the way. What, what was interesting, um, also the first oncologist that I met, I met with uh, a specialist in carcinosacoma, and it's typically uh, uterine cancer. Um, so that's what she had, was a specialist in. And when I met with her, she had an intern. And mid our meeting, she got called for an emergency and the intern was continuing to gather all the information. And I asked him at that point, I was like, you know, what I'm curious about is we know that sugar 
affects how tumors grow because I had to do a PET scan and basically you inject me with radioactive sugar and that sugar lights up on the PET scan and it shows you where the tumor is because it starts eating that sugar and it lights up. And I was like, if, if this is known, why don't, why isn't the first thing you tell somebody with cancer, like don't eat sugar. And he went into this very long, complex um, discussion about the metabolism and how if you starve the, the cancer, you actually starve the healthy cells. And he was like, but you'll, you'll have to ask the doctor when she gets back. And so the specialist returned and I asked her the same question. And she was like, yeah, well, you know, there was this doctor in Milano that did a, a huge study on the effects of taking out sugar, but you have to take out all sugar from the diet. And it had a great effect on cancer. The only problem, and she was like, you can research it and give us a name and you can look it up and you can get the studies and stuff like that. But since it hasn't been, you know, broadly researched, it's not part of their plan. So they can't actually prescribe it as uh, a handling for this type of situation. And I was like, oh, okay, it works, but you can't tell you it works. So I get it. Um, wow. So, and I went on mini fast, took out sugar completely from the diet. And the first time when I went to go see, then they transferred me to a lung specialist. And this is when they were discussing whether or not I would get adjuvant chemotherapy. And the first thing since that I've been several months from my surgery, he was kind of upset because it was probably too late to do the adjuvant chemotherapy. So I had to get another CAT scan due to the, how aggressive my tumor is that it likely spread um, so we would have to reevaluate after another CAT scan because he, he was like certain it was had spread already and it was somewhere else in my body. Mm. And so I did a CAT scan, completely negative. Mm. And it, it's just, you know, throughout the entire process of every doctor I talked to, it was a miracle to them about how much I had beaten all the odds of this type of cancer. And they were super impressed. Wow. And then even when I went to do the chemotherapy, because I was, you know, I'm going to do everything possible. So my reasoning at the time was, okay, well, I feel fine. I, I feel it's gone completely. I had already had this, you know, kind of like it's gone. It's not coming back. I handled it with the surgery and the diet, and I don't think it's going to return. However, you know, there's this doubt that you have and the, the doubt is really there from what the doctors are telling you that you know you have a very high possibility of the cancer coming back and you have to be you know very careful and there's nothing you can do other than hope that it doesn't return um and so beating all those already i was ecstatic getting that first CAT scan was just like, all right, so there it is again. It's nowhere else. Um, and then I did the adjuvin chemotherapy, which was cheese platinum and venoreldin. And the cheese platinum is <sighs> harsh. The 
so, is, so, it's, so it's pronounced chief plantain. I thought it was cis, cis plantain, but I guess I had it pronounced wrong. It could be. Okay. You know, I'm not uh, a medical doctor in any way, shape, or form. Um, so, so that's a really that's one of the most powerful uh, chemo drugs, and it. so it, it's pretty nasty stuff. It, it was harsh. Um, for me, it, I had about a week of being miserable, uh, just low energy, irritable, not wanting to do anything, uh, nausea. Um, however, in speaking to the doctors, typically how it goes is way worse. And the reason why I believe that it was going so well for me is I found a study that was being done in Germany regarding fasting and chemotherapy, where they do it conjunctive, like they do it together, where you fast during the time period where you get your injections. And so what I was doing is I would do a 48 hour fast before my injection and then 24 hours, you know, I'd have my injection and then I want to eat for another 24 hours. The day later, I would have my first meal um, after. So that's a total of 72 hours that I would fast when I was having my injections. And the doctors were very impressed with how I handled the drugs. Um, you know, I never had any negative effects on my kidneys, on my liver, which are the main things that uh, these chemo drugs attack. Uh, I never lost all my hair, which they were basically like, yeah, you're going to lose your hair, but don't. And, you know, uh, so all those things, uh, made the experience a lot easier, uh, even though it's definitely not an experience I would recommend somebody to, uh, to have, but. Did you, um, did you, um, um, what was the longest fast that you did? Was it a week? Yeah, I think, uh, five and a half days more or less was the longest fast I did. Um, during the chemo, it was more difficult to fast that long. Uh, but before, after my surgery and before the chemotherapy, I was doing, you know, once a month, uh, I would do a prolonged fast of like five-ish days. Uh, and then also weekly, I would do a 48-hour, 72-hour fast. Um, and, and every how, day how I was, was doing. Oh, okay. One, how, was your, how, was your, how was your weight at the time? Did you, did you, how did you deal with your weight loss? Well, luckily I had weight to lose. Okay. <laughs> it wasn't that big of a deal for me. Uh, you know, I probably have another 40 pounds I could easily lose before it started being like a real problem. At the time, before my surgery, I weighed probably like uh, 210 pounds. And then at the end of all the fasting and all the chemo and stuff, like, I weighed like 180. Okay. So it wasn't you know, for my height, I'm almost six foot. So 180 pounds, six foot, it's not that. Yeah. Big deal. yeah. Interesting. Now, before, um, I know before you even got the cancer, you, your diet was, I mean, it wasn't perfect, but it was somewhat good, right? You were doing, doing, uh, I think maybe one meal a day or, or on keto. Yeah, with I, some... Very often uh, I was doing keto pretty much 
almost all the time and allowed myself, you know, cheat days every one month or three months. So I was, you know, as far as, you know, my friends go, I was very strict on my diet, even though I felt very relaxed about it. It's not really like a big issue for me. I don't have this, I have to have sugar or something like that. I probably at the beginning, but you know, I've been doing the keto diet since maybe 2012. Um, well, good thing so, that they don't have a lot of carbs in Italy. That's, that's the saving grace for that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They don't have much pasta or pizza around here. And that's for sure. No. Um, so question um, right before you started noticing the symptoms, that was in 2021. Um, did you have any major stress going on at that point? I, well, more than more than your average life stress. Um, there is a, there was a situation where I was doing the, the type of work that I really enjoyed doing. Um, however, this work was not financially supportable. Um, so I had to stop that and take on a second job for some debt that I incurred. So not being able to do that kind of like life passion that I have was, uh, had taken a big toll stress-wise. And that was, you know, literally three months, four months before the diagnosis. That's fascinating. I don't know if, did you see the recent video I did with Fred? Uh, he had cancer and um, a genetic type. And right before, right before he got it, went through some massive stress. So, cause I was like, his diet was pretty good. So there must've been something else that kind of set the yeah. person up, right? For a, a weakness within the immune system because stress literally paralyzes your T cells. So mm. since your body's always battling cancer all the time, if you shut down your defenses, it kind of opens the door for all sorts of things to happen. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I was, I was watching that same video and I noticed that also in a lot of my friends and family, you know, they'll experience a stress event. And I know a month or two later, or right after they have uh, some physical trauma that they have to handle. Yeah. It's incredible. Um, what about um, your lungs? Have you ever been a smoker? Have you ever had injury to your lung? Have you ever been in a polluted area for a, a long period of time? Just curious. In my 20s, I had probably a little bit more fun than I should have. Um, but heavy smoker wise, no. And this was the biggest concern that the doctors had was that there was no real reason that I should have any type of cancer of the lung because no injury to the lung, no, you know, I smoked a little bit, but maybe a pack every two or three days for like a couple of years. And for them, that was just like, I had never smoked according to the metal. It was like, literally, they did not believe that had anything to do with it. Um, I was in the construction industry for a while, so there was chemicals and stuff like that, but not a large exposure. And I was always very careful with masks and, you know, making sure I was not inhaling heavy chemicals. 
Well, another good point about living in um, Italy is they don't have any secondhand smoke. So that's really good too. We've got yeah. no pasta and no <laughs> secondhand smoke. I remember walking to the train station, like I was like, I had to get some air because it was like, everyone's like smoking around me. I'm like, wow, that's incredible. Yeah, it's very much like it was, I guess, in the 80s and 90s when, you know, now they don't allow smoking also inside here. So that's good. Uh, but I remember being a kid, of, you know, people smoking in restaurants and yeah, on planes and it's like, oh, my gosh. I remember my dad in the station wagon smoking in the front seat, just it's all just coming back. And uh, it's like I have to open the window. Yeah. But um, this is actually an amazing story. I think it's going to inspire a lot of people who um, maybe um, either have cancer and just give them hope there's something that they can do about it, or other people that just want to prevent cancer and have some, some things to do and follow and research. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put um, that eating plan down below for those, those people who want the protocol and eating plan. And again, I'm not making any claims. So just check with your doctor, but um, this has been an awesome interview. I really appreciate your sharing uh, and spending the time to do this because I think it's going to, you know, give, give more people the other side of other strategies you can do simply because once you have cancer, you know, you have everyone and the brother telling you to do different things and you're in a state of confusion and, and fear. Yeah, and de very depressing. It's not a, uh it's definitely not an uplifting situation and the medical industry is very much depending on the cancer that you have, you know, obviously I had a very unique situation, uh, but every doctor, I, and it was really hard on both me and my wife because everybody we talked to was just like, Oh, well, it's great that you don't have kids. And it was like, cool. Thanks. Gosh. Like, really I guess so. uplifting. I know. It's like, um, I think sometimes people have a hard time of uh, communicating the appropriate thing. And they, always, they, they don't realize that that's uh, not the best thing to, oh, good thing you don't have kids. Yeah, we're really good about, we're really thankful we don't have kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was, that, that was really on my mind right now. That was, yeah. you know, yeah. um, but I really hope that um, people will inspire to, eat better, especially when it comes to cancer, um, understanding how it is a metabolic disease and the more research that goes into it. I actually saw uh, Pfizer is even researching medications that mimic fasting in the body rather than just not tell you to eat. You know, let's make a pill that mimics the, the effects of fasting. And it's basically in case you know, because cancer, you end up losing a lot of weight and you get very skinny. And so fasting uh, can be difficult if you don't have the weight to lose. So it was a way for, you know, what they're trying to find is a way for you to fast without inhibiting the amount of calories for the body. So you don't have a problem with being underweight. But right. I, I just thought it was interesting that a large drug company was researching drugs on how to mimic fasting when it was just like, okay, well, I'll just not eat. How about that? Exactly. Exactly. That is interesting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. And uh, we'll, we'll love to do like a follow-up interview um, and just to see how you're doing as well. Sounds great. Yeah. It was my pleasure.